The Football Show on Off The Ball with Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. I'm prepared to end it my can. Well, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh! Uh, welcome along to the football show and uh, we've got a lot to uh, reflect on this evening what went on what has passed what is passing what is to come in the Premier League um, it's going to be an interesting book of fixtures Tuesday night and Wednesday night uh, we had the big Villa fan Mike uh, on air before the show uh, telling us Stevie G's days are numbered and if you were to bet on who's going to be the next manager to go it might be Stevie G or uh, his old buddy um, Frank Lampard I think would be pretty much heading the betting um, so we'll see how they get on and of course Villa's only win was against Everton so far just the fixtures uh, this uh, week before we uh, get on to Pat Nevin Crystal Palace v Brentford Fulham v Brighton and Hove Albion Southampton Chelsea Leeds United Everton they're all tomorrow so uh, the pressure is building on Frank Lampard there and then on Wednesday it's Villa uh, travelling to inform Arsenal good luck with that Bournemouth at home to Wolverhampton Wanderers Man City play Nottingham Forest West Ham uh, Tottenham Hotspur and Liverpool host Newcastle United which uh, is going to be a fascinating game after the 9-0 victory that they enjoyed on Saturday Pat Nevin how are you getting on? I'm not too bad, Johnny. How are you? I'm not too bad. Uh, what have you made of it all so far? Um, there is. I, I essentially wrote. I said the title race was over at three o'clock on Saturday. I was mocked up until about four twenty, and then I just doubled down at about four fifty. <laughs> yeah. Funny thing is, um, you know, I'm not the brightest chap in the world, and the game I was at. Welcome was to the thinking, show, Pat. <laughs> I was thinking. I'm running out of fingers, man. Because yeah. it was nine nil. <laughs> I need some more fingers here. I'm gonna have to get my shoes off and count my toes. Um no Liverpool are not to be ignored for this title race because uh, you know, everybody I think most people that I've talked to think that uh, Manchester City are not exactly surefire bets, but yeah, they're looking unbelievable and I was asked right at the start of the season who's gonna win the title and uh, unlike most people who went for Man City I said Erlen Holland would win the title. And, uh, I don't think Holland, with what he's done so far, is going to change my mind a great deal. Uh, when Man City was really, really strong anyway, then they added him and he's not disappointed so far. I mean, he doesn't always get the most touches in the game, but he's astonishing when he gets it. And uh, looking at Manchester City, they're still not firing in all cylinders and they look phenomenal. But uh, having said that, Liverpool looked okay as well. They looked pretty damn phenomenal uh, for where I was sitting up at uh, in, in the stand watching them right from the first minute. Now, they were helped by the fact that Bournemouth were uh, hopeless. Um, tactically, they were a shambles. Um, it was this odd thing happened before. The, I don't know if anyone's talked about it. Before a game, do you, do you know what? You have you're a game and you watch the back line warming up for a team. Mm. And they usually either they warm up in a three and they throw balls at them and they attack them, and etc. Or they warm up as a four. And then you know if you're going to play as a back three or a back four, right? Or, or indeed a back five. Well, they warmed up as a five. And then they warmed up as a four. And then they warmed up as a five again. Right. <laughs> and then by the time the game started, they were back to a four. Now, it may well have been mind games against Liverpool. Didn't they didn't work. work. <laughs> but the point being, it's as if they didn't really know what their best thing was going to be. Now, I'm sure all along it was in Scott Parker's mind to go for a, a back four. Um but after 
six or seven minutes, you thought, well, that ain't working. Change. He changed after 45. And, you know, Liverpool were destroying them down the right-hand side. Um, and it was it was a joy to watch. But, boy, was it being made easy for them. You, you get Salah over there, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Harvey Elliott in the first half was unbelievable. So, in short, no, the title's not over yet. No, the title race isn't over yet. But Liverpool, even for nine goals, have st- still, for me, got a bit of chasing to do. Um, and don't completely write off Arsenal and Spurs yet either. Well, if you look at, say, the, the League of Ireland teams in Europe who've had to... Dundalk had to go and play Arsenal twice uh, behind closed doors. They made it at least competitive. They didn't concede crazy goals, despite the fact that their budget would be something like a million or two million a year. Like, how can you set up a team that... Literally, this game was over after about 10 seconds, and it was going to be a bloodbath. It was obvious it was going to be a bloodbath after five or ten minutes. And there was something... Um, I don't know. I mean, you'd almost have to be sadistic to enjoy that from a personal, from a neutral perspective. You look at Travers and Goal, who was completely helpless for much of the time. But how how can a team be that bad at the Premier League level? Um, oddly enough, they've just come into the Premier League, and Scott Parker said himself, like he's uncertain about the qualities of some of the players and some young players in there, and it's a jump up that some can't make. And if you don't make the right acquisitions during the you know, the, the pre-season, then you're going to be in massive, massive difficulties. Now, that's one part of it. The other part of it is you, there are some places you can go, and and it is a truism, and, and I can promise you this is the case. It shouldn't be the case, but it is sometimes. I've watched players when go to Anfield or, you know, go to Old Trafford, and I look around, and it's my mates who I've played with, and then I, I look and think, where's all that confidence gone that you had? 20 minutes ago before you walked out on the wrist pitch. Where's that belief gone? It was more noticeable, oddly enough, where later in my career when I went up and played in Scotland and the players from other clubs, some of them, would walk out to Celtic Park or Ibrox and they were frozen. Mm. And you just thought, what? You're professional footballers and I had never understood it. I never got it. But it does sometimes affect them. Now, I'm not saying they were completely frozen, but when the second goal went in and then the third honestly they just didn't look like a team and some of them just completely lost belief and they certainly lost belief in the setup, the system, their teammates the plan, you name it so it can, it can absolutely fall apart it's, it is hard when you go to, to those places when you've got a weak inside and uh, the opposition are just flying and it gets easier as you go along, see when you get to three and four it's a piece of cake, yeah. nothing, nothing goes wrong, mm. you don't do anything well apart from Mo Salah who missed two sitters but everything you try just comes off. It's so easy when you're that far ahead and everybody's like playing with utter confidence. So, I mean, that's an excuse for it or a reason for it. But they were so far behind. Um, but I'll, hear, I'll, I'll make a slight prediction. I don't think that's the last one of them we're going to see this season. I think either City or Liverpool will do that to somebody else in a home game. They're, they're capable of doing it. They are world-class teams. And what Liverpool have added... Um, one of the things I always worried about with Liverpool, you watch them a lot. Um, the, a, a huge amount of goals come from the wing backs, you know. Trent does it, Andy Robertson hammers in crosses. Have a look at that midfield over the last few years. Not that much coming for there, is there? You know, not that many assists in comparison. You know, they really rely on the front three and those two wing backs. Well, they've just added a couple of hell of a good players. That Cavalier special, but Harvey Elliott. Wow, just wow. So you're now getting creation 
from different areas as well. So, you know, Liverpool now, you've, you've absolutely no idea where to stop them because they're attacking you from everywhere at the moment. And uh, you know, now that they've got it clicked into gear, it's taken them a few weeks and a few games, but that, that looked good. Um, so I don't, I don't think they'll win 9-0 every week, but they've got it in them. Yeah, I'm going to uh, tease Liverpool fans by saying we're going to go back to Liverpool and the battle uh, for the title race later on in the show with Pat because I do want to uh, stay down in the dregs at the moment. We're going to have Dan Bardell, the football broadcaster and long-suffering Villa fan on. Um, but before Villa, your beloved Everton. Um, I don't know what to make of Everton other than the fact that Pat, um, when I have watched them this season, they just don't. And this is like, you can talk about coaches, you can talk about this, you can talk about that. Everton just don't look very good. Um, they certainly don't look any stronger than they were last season. And look what happened last season. Um, again, you, you talk about coaches, and he, the coach always pays the price in the end if the team stuck down at, at the bottom, especially a club like Everton or, as you say, Villa. You know, they're big name clubs, they're huge clubs. Uh, they expect to be mid table and above. Um, but for Frank to lose Richarlison, the possibility of losing Anthony Gordon as well. And you look and think, whoa, wait a minute. What are you bringing in replacement for that? It's got A, it's got to be better. It's got to be better than last season. It doesn't look like that, does it? Not yet. Now, it's slightly early days because there's still a few days left in the transfer window. But that's that's a group that's not going to be top half. <laughs> no chance. Whether you're Pep Guardiola as manager or Frank Lampard, doesn't matter. You know, you're right. There's, there's not enough quality there. Evertonians I've talked to, I was down at the first game of the season at Goodison when they played against Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea were, were pretty rotten that day, that day, but Everton were probably worse uh, as the game went on. And it, it's a worry, it's a real concern. Uh, and and it's not really frank, and Evertonians know this. This goes back a long way. This is wasted money on a lot of periods for a good period of time since Mashiri came in. They, they've changed managers. It was a wee bit of you know, sense and you know, control when Carlo Ancelotti was there. But after that, some of the thinking of the, the buys as well. Remember that period where they just bought number 10s all the time? You're thinking, yeah. can you handy if you go and buy other players? Now, that might disappear over you know, a few years and a lot of them have moved on. That money's gone. <laughs> that money ain't coming back again. And you didn't get a lot of return on a lot of that, which Allison accepted. So, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a concern. I'll be honest with you, it's a real concern. And I think all Evertonians feel exactly the same. It's a real worry. But I still think Frank's a decent manager, a really decent manager. But see if you're a, a good manager with bad players, you have no chance and if you're against a bad manager with good players. <laughs> That's kinda of how it works. If you get enough good players, that will see you through. And I don't know if there's enough at Everton at the moment, it's a real concern. What's the attitude among the fans towards Moshiri then? I think that's just... I think all have different things. Because remember, when any owner comes in and splashes the cash, don't have to love him, don't you? Mm. You just think, oh, great, he's throwing the money at it. And that's what everybody wants. But it has to be joined up thinking. And there was a slight schism. Uh, I don't think that's hidden much within the boardroom. Um, I, w- I was in their boardroom actually after that game. There didn't seem much of a schism then, but there is, you know, and, you know, and there ha- certainly has been, and there hasn't been a lot of joined up thinking. And if you equate it to say the likes of even Manchester United, you know, you just keep on buying in players, but is there a plan? You know, whereas there's a phrase that everybody used the last couple of seasons, you know, has your team got an identity? And you look at 
Man City, and you know the identity. You look at Chelsea, you know the, you know Liverpool, you know the identity. You get the identity, and there are one of the teams you think, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what your footballing identity actually is, because it seems so, you know, it's like throwing <laughs> throwing mud at a wall and see what sticks. It feels a wee bit like that sometimes. Man United have suffered from that, and maybe they'll get out of it now, but who knows? Everton probably have suffered from it more than anyone else because it's it's never looked like massively joined up thinking. But you know, there's a basis of some good players have got you know fullbacks are all right. It's, it's a shame if Godfrey get injured. That's a big one for them. Mm. Um, but real quality to get out of it. I'm worried for them. I am concerned. Well, Lampard last season. Well, Lampard, Lampard, along with the fans, don't don't forget what the fans done at the end of the season. Incredible. He got them fighting. They got them battling. Were they in a better or worse position from the day when Frank took over? Now I like Frank. I know Frank. He's a great guy and a decent coach. But they get rid of a guy who was a, an exceptionally good te- technical coach before that. Now he used to be a Liverpool coach. That didn't play for him. But that was just another one of these changes for changes and then changes and then more changes um, and that's it's not easy when you're trying to build something over a period of time now if you look at the clubs that tend to do really well in the British game or the English game specifically how long's Jurgen been there how long Pep been there you look at what they do and I see Chelsea have had a good run they change managers all the time but for a long time the ethic didn't change the people who were buying the players and the, the methodology and the systems didn't quite similar the whole time so if you're coming in and changing you've got to give them a bit of time well also also Pat if it were were a fair sort of system and it was equitable and money actually mattered it would really cost you money to keep sacking managers I mean you shouldn't be able to do that it should basically throw you over the edge and get you out of the league because you can't just keep paying off managers that you're letting go but I mean football clearly doesn't work like that it doesn't work I mean it does cost you an absolute fortune to get rid of the managers because you get rid of the manager, you get rid of the staff, new guy comes in and says, I want five more players and I want four out, you know, and it costs a fortune to do it. Mm. But they've got fortunes, that's the point. Mm. They've got absolute fortunes. So it has no effect whatsoever, or very limited effect from the very big top teams. So the money that Chelsea once had, and it would appear still had, a hell of a lot of money under uh, Bolly. Um, certainly the money that Man City have got is incredible as well. So for the ones that near the top, it's fine. But you know, if you if you misspend it, and then people start, um, the UEFA start looking into the you know, the finances of it and say, well, wait a minute, you've overspent and you need to cut back. That's when the trouble massively starts. You can't, you might throw out managers, but you can do that. And you can pay them off, but you can't get the good players in. And it's a vicious circle, as we all know. If you look at the the, the players that say Everton need just now in the sort of market they're in, look at who else is in the market. You know. All these teams like Newcastle are now in that market. And you know, it's a horrible feeling to feel, but if you're a player outside and you're looking at it, you're thinking, hmm, I might take Newcastle on top of Evan. For a long time, that wasn't the case. And it's just more and more teams that actually start to be the case. And of course, if you're down at the bottom of the season last season, and it's not been a great start this season, who's going to come that's, you know, of the medium to top level? Because you're not going to get top level, medium to top level. They just look at last season and they look at what's happening this season. It's, it's it's a hard sell. It really is a hard sell. So it becomes, as I say, a vicious circle. So, yeah, I, I am absolutely... As you can tell, I'm worried about Evan. Uh, I'm not saying the phrase, they're going down, because I, I, I wouldn't say that yet. It's far too early. I want to see how everything beds in with Frank. But they've got a battle. 
Liverpool have been more I would argue they've been more poor than bad so far I mean Saturday was a bit of a, a bit of a non-event really but what have you made of them I mean the, the Man United performance was poor um, they've issues in midfield obviously Thiago has been injured but you're obviously impressed by this uh, potential precocity uh, Harvey Elliott what a baller he could be I guess yeah I mean really very very special playing in a way where just to upset Liverpool fans if you stuck him in the Man City team they'll look alright you know, one of that, one of those types of players. He looked brilliant. He's one of that ilk. Now that's meant as a compliment, although many Liverpool fans won't take it as a compliment, but it is. Um, he's a fabulous, fabulous football player. The wonderful thing what that gives them is something different, because that midfield, although you know Thiago and Henderson, whoever you put in there, Fabinho, but is there a huge amount of creativity there? It's okay, but it's not fabulous as in what you need to be to win leagues but then if you start looking at you know Cavalier's young but he's got some special talents you know Leith Diaz has come in and he looks a bit special we yet we've yet to see how good Darwin Nunes will be but this is especially that he'll score a hell of a lot of goals you know and then you, if you've got that sort of creativity and that sort of firepower they're going to be okay they're going to be up they're the top four stick on not sure than that almost certainly top two um, but whether they can stick with Manchester City and get back even that little bit of a gap we've got just now, it's going to be hard, but I can push them. But you know what I mean? Like, they, so Man City conceded three goals against Newcastle. They then conceded two goals in the first half at home against Palace. But, like, Guardiola looked like a man that had, you know, the best day of his life in St. James's Park. He was delighted after the game because it was a great game. with was three all. They just decided against Palace. Grand, we're 2-0 down. We've Haaland. We're just going to score more goals. Liverpool look to be almost like that. If they're going to be playing Harvey Elliott weekend, they, they, all their games are going to be like 6-3, 4-2, like, because they are going to cough up chances. We saw it against Man United, but it's going to be entertaining. I hope that's the case. Um, <laughs> my historical... I mean, I'm, I'm a wee bit older than you, Johnny. Um, and I look back and the history I remember the original stuff with Cruyff and the, the Dutch teams mm. then Barcelona and 5-4 was a perfect result or 5-3 or you know they didn't care it's okay we need to score more goals their ethos is exactly that and they don't get that you know this idea of you need to have a clean sheet all the time can you ever really remember Pep Guardiola talking about how desperate to get to clean sheets something he rarely ever mentions it's, I'm not saying it's not in the radar. You don't like losing goals. But if you do win a game 4-2, you're probably beaming. You're probably absolutely delighted, especially if your team's made a whole lot of chances. And if you've watched a great game of football that's slow and it's exciting and you come out on top in the end, if it's 4-3 or 5-2 or whatever, those sort of guys with their sort of background and their ethic in the game love it. They absolutely love it. Drilled into the British psyche over here, that, uh, you know, if you lose 4-2, let's have a, an inquest into those two goals and spend a load of time walk, working at it. That's just one mindset. Others haven't always got that mindset. I take you back to some of the great Brazil teams of the past. They were all right with that. That's yeah, fine. It's cool. It's a game of football. It's an, Hey, by the way, it's an entertainment. And... We like to see it, and that's just the way they think. There's just a bit of Italian in me who loves a one nil or a nil all draw. I was a Brian Clough used to be at the front of the bus. He'd have scored four, but it would have been a five all draw. And he turned the back of the bus to the defenders and say, "How many goals do I actually need to score for us to win?" <laughs> maybe, maybe Haaland might say that once or twice. What have you made of him so far? Yeah, everything about him is brilliant. Uh, 
the thing I thought about him at the start, you know, I, I've never for a moment have had any doubts. There is only one doubt over Holland, and that's if he gets injured. That's mm. it. Everything else is fine. Everything else will be. He will get a whole bunch of chances playing for that team the way they play. But what he does to everybody else and how he helps everyone else is incredible because in times gone past, they would be able to, you know, bunch up in other players and deny space. Yeah, good luck because you're going to have to put two on him. He's almost like completely different. Like he's totally the antithesis of the way they've been playing and now they've added him or something. And they probably make him better as well. That's the madness of it because all that physicality he's got is great. But that, that subtle movement in the box where, I mean, he's a big lad. There's a hell of a lot of him. But he still seems to go a wee bit invisible and find himself in space. That's just because he's a brilliant mover in the box. And we've all seen him over the years. People who just naturally know how to... Well, is it, is it natural, Patter? Like, can you teach that? It's always intrigued me. Is that just something you have or you haven't? Where you just, you know where the space might be or whatever it is? Well, I mean, I've, I've told this before. My apologies to anyone who's, who's heard this before. Um, there was a guy called John Aldridge I used to play with, right? And, Vaguely uh, remember him. <laughs> well, I played with Aldo for about four years. And after the second, first season, I said to him, look, I can score. Uh, if you put me in front of goal, I'll probably score, mate. But you're getting bleeding well 40 a year, mate. <laughs> and I'm getting like 7, 8, 10, 11, whatever. Just tell me the secret. What is it? He goes, go where the defenders aren't. I said, is, is that it? And he went, yeah. You know, if you can score... Go with the defence. There's no point going, when the ball's going down the line, you run into where you think the ball's going to go. If there's a defender standing there, you ain't going to score. Just go to the place where the ball isn't. A whole lifetime. Anyway, that year I scored 19. The most, the most I'd ever, I just thought about it every single game. Every single game. And if you do it often enough, and I wasn't absolute natural at it, you'll get, you'll get, you'll get a whole bunch of tappings. And people go, ah, oh, you were lucky there. No, you weren't. You did that. And with people that then... I don't think you need to teach. Some of us had to learn that specific or try and learn that specific skill. For some of them, it is, a, it is natural and born. They're, they're, they're there. They, they love it so much that they just gravitate towards space all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, he's got that, but he's got all the other assets as well. I hope you uh, accordingly dedicated 13 of your goals to uh, John Aldridge at the end of the season. Don't worry, he get plenty of plaudits himself. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> Absolute legend. There is there is something about it though, in the sense that like there's so much money in the game now, and sometimes you get a bit like disenfranchised. But you have like the son of a Man City player who looks like almost like a throwback from another era. This blonde bombshell from Scandinavia, and he's just amazing to watch. Do you the, all of the things? I mean, you could pick out all every part of his game. The speed thing is stupid. He's playing against quick players. He's making them look lumbering. That that's the weird bit, right? He tears, shreds people. I'd love to know what he is after over about 50, 50 meters. Oh, he must be incredible. Starting speed's incredible, and he takes yards off of people, you know, in no time at all. And it's you know, it's a different type of speed. It's a power speed as opposed to a zippy nippy speed. It is a power speed that he's got. So you put that on top of it. The other side, the physicality. You know, if you have, if I stand it often in the in the touchline of Premier League games, right? And, and it's every single week it hits me, right? They all run out right beside me. I think, bloody hell, they are giants now. You know, there was mm. even a lot bigger when I played. The average footballer is bigger, particularly defenders, bigger, broader, stronger, whatever. And then he makes them look like midgets. And he's just like, what? <laughs> How can you do that? His physicality is ridiculous. So you add all that and he, 
he looks like a different species sometimes, doesn't he? Just with the fact that he's bigger or he's kind of evolved a wee bit further than everybody else. Uh, to do that and then keep the balance um, and keep the attitude right and keep, you know, the eye for a goal, keep everything. He is he is one of the special players of the era and almost certainly will be the special player of the era. Pat, you were a bit of a showboat. Would you expect the kicking with Charleston? God, if you tried that crack during a game, that's from Paul now, not me. Um... I tell you a wee story. I was just writing this the other day. I was, uh, I remember playing one game and I'd done, it was this left back down at West Ham and I'd done him once and I went back and I'd done him again. And then I'd done him a third time and I thought, yeah, I'm going to have a go again. <laughs> like to ball around and I tr- and nutmegged him and got by him. Anyway, he took me out about waist height, right? And I went down and I, I got up again. I turned to the referee and the referee said, you deserve that, mate. I went, are you going to book me for getting kicked? <laughs> Um, (coughs) I think I think in days gone by um, too much showiness um, was seen to be offensive and I don't think it often is I think I think people forget from some of our attitudes and certainly from mine football is supposed to be an entertainment we forget that now and again but it's supposed to be there's nothing wrong with uh, entertaining Uh, and if you feel as if you have to kick somebody I'm generally not in your team yeah, sometimes I think yeah, if the referee like there are rules, but then there are kind of ethics, and there's like you know doing the right thing. I think he did the right thing there, Pat. Briefly before we finish up, we only have about half a minute left. This is absolutely flown. Um, who finishes? Who finishes in the top four? Um, in your mind, I've not changed my mind with Liverpool and Manchester City, um, and I can't answer it for another two days yet. Because I don't know who Chelsea are going to get. If they get Fofana, they've got a chance of being in there. How big would that be? I think that, so Fofana comes in, I think Chelsea could be in the, four, the top four. If not, and they don't strengthen there, uh, I'm pretty convinced Spurs will be in the top four. So it could be Arsenal, Chelsea. You know, after that, you don't know. It would need, it'd be a real surprise. But, you know, you just never know. Man United may come back. Others may come back. I think the top three is clear, but I think the fourth's harder. Yeah, lots to look forward to. Thanks a million for your time as ever, Pat. Pleasure as ever, John. Take care. Um, we have a chance for you to go along and cheer on the girls in green this Thursday in the sold-out uh, FIFA World Cup qualifier against Finland in Tallis Stadium. Thanks to our friends at Sky. We're giving away two pairs of tickets to this huge game. Uh, for your chance to get your name in this evening's draw, just answer the simple question. What Arsenal player is the current Irish captain? To enter, text in your answer to 53106. It's all in association with Sky, proud partner and supporter of our women's national team. Out believe together and show your support as Ireland take uh, attempts to make history and reach their first ever World Cup. Stay tuned for our pre-match coverage of Ireland v Finland this Thursday on all our digital channels. And just to save the girls, if you are getting the better of the fullback, don't nutmeg her three times. Football on off the ball. With Sky, proud partner of our women's national football team. Out believe together and we can go anywhere. You are welcome back and as ever brought to you by Sky, proud partner of our women's national football team. Uh, don't miss Ireland to take on Finland Thursday night. A couple of uh, three League of Ireland scores are just coming uh, towards the end of the three games. All battle for Europe stuff tonight. Bowes won, Pats two. Pats holding on there, haven't been too little up. Shells nil, a dominant Derry nil. Sligo Rovers won, 10-man Dundalk nil. These are big, big repercussions uh, for the battle uh, for the top four. I don't think the top four is going to be uh, something that... 
uh, Villa have to worry about uh, in, in the near future and uh, we're now joined by Dan Bardell who I'm told here is a football broadcaster and long-suffering Villa fan um, which obviously implies that um, well it just implies you support Villa Dan really Yeah I'm more worried about the bottom four than the top four at the moment Would you take fourth last? No, 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 definitely not. Not not after four games, but but things aren't great at the moment. Well, okay, we had Mike in, uh, who's a Villa fan, um, very, very down on Stephen Gerrard. We'll get to Gerrard uh, shortly, but just in terms of the Villa team, where 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 is this Villa team to where it was, say, 12 months ago in terms of quality? There's There's been a few few player churns. So that, that obviously Stephen Gerrard bought a few of his own players in, in January, and I actually think probably since January, in, in 2022 as, as a whole... Not good. We've actually got worse. Mm. When he first came in, he, he stabilised us with the players that were already there, and I, I could see what a Steven Gerrard team was. But it seems that the more players that that we've had come in that are Gerrard's players, the worse we've got. And it, it's just a strange one because it's really felt like a continuation from last season now for Villa fans. I think a lot was put on pre-season and Steven Gerrard and his backroom staff having that pre-season to get the ideas across to the players. And I think a lot of Villa fans thought, right, we'll give him a chance come August it'll be a different lineup and we'll see what a Steven Gerrard team is all about now we've got to August not got off to a great start losing to the Premier League whipping boys Bournemouth stumbled through a win and tried to chuck chuck the game against Everton as best we could we went 2-0 up and then did everything we could to not win that game and they are bad and that, yep they're, they're bad as well as Bournemouth are and then the next two games just nothing really pretty abject and We've lost one of our big summer signings for the, for the whole season, Diego Carlos. That's not great because I think that was an area that Steven Gerrard identified as weak. So you're looking at the team on paper now, and whichever 11 really gets gets wheeled out from game to game, there's only one difference from like that end of last season, and, and that's Kamara, the French international in, mm. in the defensive midfield slot now. So it now feels like the season last season never ended and we, we, we've just carried on and it's just been a, a really miserable 2022 you know and I'm I'm as positive as, as Villa fans come I think I've been accused of toxic positivity on social media before which isn't something many people get accused of but at the moment I'm struggling I, I was sat there with my dad on, dad on Sunday and you know, my dad's been coming down the villa for 50 60 years long 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 time long time season ticket holder and he looked at me after the game and he just said that was boring mm. and you know it, 2022 for Villa fans has been boring. You know, 2020 and most of 2021 was written off by COVID. You couldn't get to the football. You you all sat at home wanting to be at the games, wanting crowds to be at football. And we're at Villa Park now. There's just something missing. And like I say, we were waiting for that pre-season. And now I'm sat there feeling like I'm waiting for something. But I don't know what that thing is. So continue 17 million. Carlos 26 million. Camaro, you mentioned... Um... I presume I don't. I, I don't really know what what what, what was uh, Villa's kind of what was the general expectation going into the season. I'm sure um, it was it was better than this. Or what, was there even a hope that actually Villa might become reasonably good to watch again? Yeah, because you know, Stephen Gerrard talks about the passing game. He talked about the passing game when he come, came in. Intensity, every, everything being 100 miles per hour, closing down. And as I say, those first five six games. I could see what he wanted to do and I could see what he was trying to do. And I thought, right, there's a change here from Dean Smith. There's things here that I like. But in 2022, I've seen very, very little that that I've liked. And I just can't understand what, what's going wrong. Because you look at that team, there's some, there's some good players there. I think, yes, there's problems. I think the midfield area at the moment is a massive problem for Villa going both ways. And something needs to be done about it. But by and large, you know, even those central midfield players, they're not bad players. 
I think we just haven't found the right combination and there's perhaps something something missing in there. There's different teams every week, different like sometimes it's Ings and Watkins up front, sometimes it's just Watkins, sometimes Leon Bailey plays, sometimes it's Buendia and Coutinho, sometimes it's just Buendia, sometimes it's just Coutinho. And it just, just feels like there's no rhythm. And at the moment, if you were to ask me what type of football team Aston Villa are, I genuinely couldn't answer it. <laughs> well, do you because not, we're, we're not a great passing side. We, we don't play with any, any real tempo. We're not we're not gang and press like, like like Liverpool. We're not counter attack. We're not direct. I actually don't know what we are, and I feel like at this point I should be able to identify some kind of style from Aston Villa. This is a this is a cracking stat, and there uh, you know lies down lies in statistics, and we're four games into the season. Only Liverpool and Man City have entered the final third more times than Villa this season. That shocks me. That that genuinely shocks me. That that's that because we, we might well enter the final third, but when we get there, we don't look like we know we know how to break teams down and and what to do. And West Ham on Sunday, they were poor, really poor. And Villa weren't great either, but I think Villa were probably the better team in the first half. But David Moyes did something to switch it up in the second half, and again they weren't great. But he changed the formation, and they've they've got they've gone and got the three points. We're mainly wed to this four three, and then it's either a one two or it's a four three three. And sometimes it's just not working at the moment. I think Villa fans would like to see more of a 4-2-3-1, try and stabilise the, the team a little bit and get more of those attacking players into the team. Because as I say, the, the midfield has been a problem. But that stat absolutely shocks me because we just seem so ponderous and, and, and slow at times. And I know that's not how Steven Gerrard will want to be playing. And I try and, I try and look at both sides. You know, I, I don't want to sit here and absolutely lay into Steven Gerrard. That, that's not what I'm here to do. And I don't want to sit here and lay into the players either. But I just, I, like I said, I cannot get what Aston Villa are at the moment. And he does feel like something needs to change. There was a lot of frustration in the air and it's four games in. You know, Villa's next two games, Arsenal away, Manchester City at home. You know, by the end of the week, we could potentially be in the bottom three. And I know, and then I know then it's only six games and there's two hopefully winnable games coming up after that. But it's not what Villa fans expected. It's it's not the dream that that, we, that we've been sold. You know, certainly, you know, the owners, the owners are, are men of real ambition. They won't be happy with this. They won't have been happy with 14th last year. But they'll be sat there probably scratching their heads and, and wondering what's going on as well. There's just the air of resignation at Villa Park at the moment. You know, the prices have, have gone up quite heavily on the season tickets. And in fairness to Villa, you know, the ticket prices have been reasonable for a number of years, but they've put the prices up. The kit prices seem to be higher than, than some of the teams. And just seems to be a, a sense of frustration amongst the Villa fan base at the moment because they just want something to cling on to, something, something to get behind. And, and at the moment so far this season, they haven't had that and they haven't had that in 2022. Yeah, we've a text in only win of the season for Palace, Bournemouth, and West Ham against Villa. Um, mm. Three wins out of the twelve games those teams have played. That stat, and of course, that isn't a text in. That's from our producer Mike, who uh, really, really is down on Stephen Gerrard. But to be fair, a lot of what Mike said before the show, um, you can buy into. And what intrigues me, Dan, is that I I never thought Gerrard really had the charisma to be a manager. Um, and that that sounds a bit. I don't know, blasé or whatever. But like, I I remember there was there was a guy in the League of Ireland who had a short enough uh, managerial career, and I asked uh, an ex teammate of his, and he said, just never had the personality to be a manager. You need personality. Does Gerard have that personality to uh, win over players who I don't know don't seem to be necessarily buying into whatever the system is? I mean, he, he's an engaging guy. I, I I think he's a he's a fascinating guy, and he's achieved an awful lot 
in his career and, and an awful lot in football. And I do feel like some of the players have bought into it. Jacob Ramsey, for, for example, Matty Cash, and they've probably been two of Villa's better performers in, in 2022. But there is there is something wrong. There's something that's not sitting right at the moment. And Gerard has a huge backroom staff. He, he doesn't claim himself to be an expert in every area. Mm. He, he acts as more of the overseer. And a lot of emphasis gets put on the assistant manager and, and, and the coaches. Now, Villa have lost their assistant manager to, to QPR, Michael Beale. He's got his own way to, to manage himself, which he's, which he's every right to do. And Neil Critchley has come in. But like I say... You'd expect with that to, to be a little bit bit of a change, but it's exactly the same as the end of last season. You know, I'm not sitting here saying Michael Beale going to absolutely cost us because I don't think we were great under Michael Beale. But it just that is that not having 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 no discernible style at this point and not knowing what type of team Stephen Gerrard wants us to be. That's worrying, and that point that I made right at the start where when he first came in. I categorically knew what he was trying to do and I could visibly see change and improvement on the pitch. But I've not seen that, those kind of facets since and that's a concern. Yeah, he says Villa needs someone to step forward to provide a good cross or a little bit of combination play to get a good shot off. Obviously, isn't isn't entirely scientific. I guess what's even uh, less scientific is um, the mood of Villa Park and when, when that turns, maybe sometimes it's hard for coaches to get it back. What did it feel like at the weekend? More more desperate than I than I would have expected, and more hostile than I would have expected. The boos that I see in the whole end, the whole end upper, mm. and the boos were loud at, at the end of the game. It's not just Gerard's fault because you know there's been years and years and years of underachievement at Villa, and there's years and years and years of, of pent up frustration amongst the Villa fan base. But we've gone from having Dean Smith, who I think the Villa fans all connected with, and to be honest, when he went. There was a lot of upset, but I think most people could say that it probably run its cause. Again, we were getting worse rather than better. But we feel, I feel like we're in the, in the same pattern now, that we're, we're getting worse, we're not getting any better. And Gerard's done a lot of the things that Dean Smith did to, towards the end, end of his tenure. You know, we were sat here this time last year saying, I'm not sure Dean Smith knows his best team. There's a lot of that being levelled at Stephen Gerrard. We had the whole Tyrone Mings thing coming out the side for the first game. Villa have since said he, he was injured, which, you know, you have to believe. It's Dean Smith dropped Tyrone Mings towards the end of his tenure. That didn't really work out. So there is a few parallels running at, at the moment, and it just is not a happy place. I think West Ham coming to Villa Park on Sunday on zero points and zero goals. We all knew what was going to happen. I, I did not expect Villa to win that game on Sunday because I know over the years Aston Villa is the gift that keeps on giving. But I did not expect West Ham to be so bad. And for them to come away with three points being that bad is worrying. And with the two games we've got coming up, you almost now feel like you no choice but, but to write them off. And I think Gerard will get those two games. And they're, they're free hits, essentially, because we have not started the season well. And both those sides have. But the two after, Leicester and Southampton, I think it is. I can't remember which order it's in. They're huge games. They're games that Villa need to yield six points from. Yeah, you're actually talking about three of the top five, I think, in the betting in the managers to be next gone um, are basically Gerard Hassenhutl and um, in that time frame as well, you're, yeah, Brendan Rodgers, who's who's the next favourite. But how long do you do you do you feel that Gerard does have the boards back, and um, or will will it be sort of make or break after those four games? 
I think right now he's not in danger. He'll have the board's backing. I think, you know, obviously Christian Perslow's put a lot into getting Steven Gerrard into the club. We lost Jack Grealish, who really now, if you look at it, the whole football club was too heavily geared around Jack Grealish Mm. and we've lost him and we've struggled ever since. You've then lost the manager a couple of months after Jack Grealish going. So I think it seems to me, I could be wrong, this is just my own opinion, Villa wanted a name. So Steven Gerrard came in and he's a name and for a period... You know, he's, we've attracted players to the club that probably wouldn't really have any right to, to get into the club. Even when you look at Kamara, Bubakar Kamara, who's coming in the summer, he could have gone and played for a Champions League team, but he's decided to come and play for Villa because of Steven Gerrard. And I think that's that's what they wanted. They wanted someone who could bring in big-name players and make Villa, Villa an attractive club, an attractive option. And to an extent, they've done that, but it's no good doing that if, if you're going to get worse on the, on the pitch. And we just... As I keep saying it, I can't work out what, what the style is. We're just getting the ball out wide and putting crosses into the box. I mean, Kurt Zuma, he can't have had an easier game than, than he had on Sunday in his career because we're just putting the ball in there and he's just heading everything away. I think at one point he headed three balls away in the space of 15 seconds from, from three crosses. So it's all well and good venturing the final third, but you've got to know what to do when you're there. And at the moment, I don't really feel like that with Villa. I, I I well remember as your dad would uh, the Paul McGrath days and how you know yeah. Villa Villa were such a big club and obviously still are. Yeah, I'm biased, obviously, but you know I, I think we're, we're we're a huge club and Villa fans don't want the world. You know, I think sometimes there's there's a this outside looking in that Villa fans are a bit unreasonable. We're not really. We don't expect to be top six at the moment. That's not what we expect, but. We expect to be top half and let's try and win something. Let's let's go on a cup run. And Steven Gerrard himself and the club themselves have said those things about becoming a top half team and pushing towards Europe. But we look really far away from, from that at the moment, a lot further away than I, th- than I would have expected and a lot further away than I think the owners, who've been absolutely brilliant, by the way, further away than, than they would have expected as well. So there's, there's something wrong. People are saying, you know, I've seen a few people tonight on social media saying that, well, these are the same collection of players that lost Dean Smithy's job. That that, that might be a, might be a fair argument. I haven't had too much time to ponder it because I only saw it five seconds be- before I came on. But we've got to do something and we've got to get together because the whole club needs galvanising because it's it's flat. The atmosphere at the start of the game on Sunday, the first five minutes, really good, positive atmosphere. They're, they're, they're behind they're... the team. Sometimes the fans need need the players to G them up and sometimes mm. vice versa, but it just falls away and turns into nothing. And that's happened in too many games at Villa Park over the, over the last few years. You just want some some excitement and something to believe in and I hope that comes. And, I, and you know, I want it to be Steven Gerrard. I want Steven Gerrard to be that man because I want Villa to be successful and he's the man in the hot seat. And I don't like seeing managers sacked and, jo- and losing jobs being talked about. But 2022 has been miserable. It sounds like the players need a good brummy night out to get them going. I don't know what they need. They, they, they certainly need something. Though. They've got to they've got to get together. They've, they've, they've got to be better than this. Even if, you know, we come away, our away fans are unbelievable. Mm. Some, some of the best people I've, I've ever met in my life have been people that I've met at away games, Aston Villa away games. They'll be travelling to Arsenal on Wednesday, probably knowing that, they, that we're going to get beat. And that's fine. Arsenal are, are a great side. They're on a, on a great run at the moment. But you want to see a performance. You can accept losing if you see a performance. There's a way to lose. And Villa, they haven't got that at the moment. Thanks a million for your time, Dan. No worries. Yes, Dan Bardell, uh, the uh, Villa fan and broadcaster, watching the game with his uh, dad, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that, watching the game with your dad down the years, uh, and basically he uh, inculcating you a love for a team that's um, 
may or may not go very well uh, down the years. Not just not looking great for Villa at the moment. Big results in the League of Ireland tonight. I wonder where their booze in uh, in Daily Mount. Bows losing again, losing to St Pat's at home three one, conceding three goals. Shells nil, De- Derry City one. And a big result, Sligo 2 Dundalk nil. So this basically opens up the battle uh, for second and third, uh, fourth and fifth, really. It's, it's very, very open there. Uh, we'll go to the ads and uh, we'll be back uh, afterwards, uh, wrap through the rest of the football show. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky, proud partner of our women's national football team. Outbelieve together and we can go anywhere. You are welcome back. Uh, thanks to Dan there for uh, yet another bleak assessment. <laughs> <laughs> Michael is back in the studio. Yeah, we're gonna. There's no more Villa chat tonight. I mean, between that now and climate never change, again, Johnny. never again, Let's never mention it again. In the League of Ireland, Dundalk have been uh, overtaken by Derry City on goal difference now. Um, in that battle for second place, if the tight race is over, which I believe it to be, St Pat's um, strongly positioned in fourth. But if they win their game in hand, they're only a point off Dundalk so obviously uh, the way it works is you have to win the um, cup or finish in the first three and if you don't do that you have to finish fourth and hope that one of the teams above you wins the cup to get into Europe next year and as we've seen from Shamrock Rovers and to a lesser extent St. Pat's and Sligo Rovers there's a lot of money going around if you can get into uh, into Europe uh, for a League of Ireland team but essentially what tonight's mean, tonight means is that Bows are totally out of the race for Europe barring the cup um, Shelburne are sort of playing out the season um, yeah and a very good night for Derry City uh, St. Pat's and Sligo Rovers um, I, I thought Pat Nevin's uh, chat on um, Haaland just yeah. it's pretty, pretty much nailed it he is just he's a battering ram <laughs> unbelievable I pace obviously um, didn't see the game on Saturday because it wasn't on I was watching Liverpool and there was a point where you're looking at your fancy team and you're thinking, oh, there's games where he doesn't really do much and, mm. you know, it's 2-0, what's going on with City? And I'm thinking, like, I asked on this show, and it was a question, it wasn't a suggestion, it was like, is there any chance that Haaland isn't the guy? And it could be a bit of a flop. And then we had the first game of the season, you're like, no, this guy is incredible, he's going to score 50 goals. And during the Palace game, I was thinking to myself, is is that definitely true though? I mean, there's games when he doesn't do anything for City and maybe he's going to get the odd chance and he'll score goals, but is he all that dominant? And like 15 minutes later, it's like... <laughs> that, I think that's the thing Oh, sorry, was, I, that's all he needs. Like, and he just what needs Pat those said, there'll be games goals. where he's kind of yeah. a little bit in and out. Um, in terms of statistical anomalies, Salah not scoring on Saturday must be oh one of the most bonkers things. You do look at him this year and he's, he's kind of... like Obviously, Nunes coming in... He, I don't know if Salah's role is slightly changing, but to me, he looks like he's been sort of setting up more chances than normal. But it was like it must have been a billion to one he didn't score in a nine 0 win. Unbelievable! And you just thought like it's going to open up more, and Salah's the perfect per- person who's a hundred. Even when it was like four or five nil, you're thinking if you have him as your captain on your fancy football team, mm. as some of us did, you're thinking it's actually grand here. This is actually still perfect for him. You know, because he's still going to grab two late in the game because of the way it opens up. It just, it just never fell from absolute weird stuff. One thing, actually, because I know we're out of time, that we just haven't mentioned on the show yet, was Celtic beat Dundee United 9-0 yesterday away from home. And look, I mean, there's the usual kind of harbinger of doom and how terrible this is for Scottish football that is in no way wrong. And But we've heard it all before. Just one thing from it, though, that Celtic do look like really really strong at the moment and it's just interesting now that we know they're going to play Real Madrid away in the first game of the Champions League and there's an excitement about that in itself but there's also 
something that I noticed in their first goal, and I've read since that they've been doing it kind of constantly. Uh, it might not have been their first goal, but uh, Kyogo got a hat trick. There was a ball in. He was standing purposely about maybe 10, 15 yards offside, mm. like as out of the play as you can possibly be. And Celtic hit a long ball over the top, which he just stood there and ignored as the wing back or left wing or whoever it was came on, to, uh, came on from an onside position. Suddenly, Kyogo is back in play. He's completely onside and they scored a goal from it. And I'm there thinking, this is an interesting tactic that I haven't really seen before. Certainly not in such a kind of a, you know, you could stand a yard or two off knowing what's going to happen, but standing so far off thinking, this guy's out of the game, what's he doing back there? And I've thought about that before, Michael, that like because they've changed the rules to such an extent that like if you're literally the next bit of play, are you then just not offside anymore? And there was an interesting goal. Like I, I thought one of Liverpool's goals but like I had a friend of mine Julian who was an ex-referee texting in on the show Saturday said he's not offside there um, oh that was definitely offside he was clearly interfering in, with the defender the OG. He's, the OG he's, he's interfering with the defender because the, he's the a defender, half a yard behind him but apparently it's not in the new rules you almost have yeah. to literally brush him out of the way yeah. um, I yeah. think that's mad because like he's you know he's basically forcing the defender into a mistake he's not going to make Yes, I um, think you're completely right. I think the idea that he's not the idea that he's not interfering with play is nonsense. But again, they have changed the rules. And just on the Celtic thing, like I thought that that's really interesting tactical, uh, you know, uh, idea that maybe people will follow up on, or people might do a bit more of. Or maybe it'll be figured out. But at the moment, certainly, Dundee United you know, didn't know what to do with him because they're kind of trying to keep an eye on him, but he's out well, of play. In, in theory, you, so you could put two players high up the pitch or miles offside, right? Yeah. And then one lad runs through basically. Um, isn't he's not offside? Yeah. So then they can get themselves into as an. As long as they position. get on, as long as they get behind. So, them, yeah, the, mm. it's a new phase of play. But what I was surprised by is that I saw that and thinking, this is interesting. And then uh, when I actually saw it later on Twitter, I just saw it on the highlights, didn't think much of it. And then later on, I see on Twitter that this is actually one of Ange's you know, tactics and they've been doing it a lot this year. Right. And the replies were, cheat. That's the idea, you know, or, or like even in a, in a less dramatic way, it's like, you know, that's taking advantage of a rule. It's against the spirit of the game. And I hadn't even occurred to me. And it seems to me like we're having this conversation that that's your take as well. It is funny, isn't it, that there's a like a lot of tactical innovation that's going to happen now has to kind of come on the basis of what are questionable rules in the first place. Mm. You know, they're they're taking advantage of rules that were brought in for a specific reason and making more of them. You know, it, it, I just I just actually considering Celtic won nine nil, and there is probably not a huge amount to talk about from what's happening in the SPL in general at the moment or the Scottish Premiership. Sorry, yeah. Uh, I just took something out of that and thought that was very interesting, and it's something I I think could happen in a much more high profile game at some point, and we'll be talking about a lot. And very uh, kind of along the lines of what Matt Williams was saying about rugby at the moment, and that you know you're, you play by the rules, but you kind of suit the rules uh, or, or bend the rules to to, to work it to your favour. Thanks a million, Mike, for your. Uh, Thanks, Johnny. Very, very grim Thank Villa you. chat there. Um, OTB AM tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I haven't mentioned Villa in 20 minutes. <laughs> we were brought to you by Sky, proud partner of our women's national team. Don't miss Ireland, Finland. Thursday night, we have the um, draw for tickets as well. More reaction from New Zealand with Gregor Paul uh, tomorrow on OTB AM. And yet, yet this this own Sheehan um, departure, it seems to have gone on for about three years at this it's stage. It's like, you know, when an American, <laughs> an American sports person goes to every ground. Yeah, it is his last show. Season. And that is it. I'm never saying it again. Own Sheehan, gone but not forgotten. Bye-bye.